is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 161 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Painter all about how to write urban fantasy. Now, when I started to record this... (laughs) Before I recorded, I had to go and check that the last episode really was 160 because I feel like I just shat the bed and that, like, I just skipped over 160. But no, apparently not. Apparently last week's really was 160. Uh, That is basically the level of exhaustion I'm feeling today. Uh, Anyway, I will get more into that (laughs) in a bit. First to last week's question, which was, what would you like for Christmas? Thank you to everyone who commented. Uh, We had lots of comments, but two responses to the question. And the first was from Edwin Downward, who said, I've reached a point where I look around and see that I have or can quickly get everything I need or want the average person can afford to buy. For this this reason, my Christmas and birthday and Father's Day wish list now contains what I call quality of life items. As a rule, this means gift cards I can use over the course of the year to get those little things that gives each day a little extra. I love that. Books, tea, other assorted treats or meal options for when I'm out and about. I love that. So there are always two things on my Christmas list. (laughs) One is thick Christmas socks because I spend at least half of the year in thick Christmas socks. (laughs) They're literally my favourite thing ever. Uh, My feet are my body thermometer. (laughs) Why am I talking about this? fucking podcast anyway my feet are my oh god my thermometer and if my feet are cold I'm cold and if my feet are warm I'm warm so like it just makes sense to wear thick socks and especially in like winter I don't take them off uh so anyway that's the first one and then of course being the bookworm that I am uh my second choice is always books and nobody ever buys me books (laughs) literally never like no one buys me books and it makes me so sad so whenever I do get book posts I'm always super grateful because like it's it feels like a gift so um yeah it's uh, I don't know what that is but like I ask every birthday and every Christmas I think now so I have spotted the new Kindle scribe I don't know if you guys um, have seen that Kobo actually does a really good uh, uh, very similar product I can't remember the Kobo's name though and uh, anyway you can write uh, on it and write on the books which is what I do in my books I write my books uh, where I'm putting notes and thoughts and things so um, I'm very excited about that so I'm trying to sort of decide between the Kobo and the and the Kindle scribe uh, but yeah so anyway hopefully people will feel people family will feel more inclined to do Kindle gift cards or Kobo gift cards or Apple gift cards or whatever although I don't know what the Apple device is my iPad I suppose which I don't that doesn't work. Anyway, moving swiftly onwards. Uh, Button Heather on Instagram says, I, I'll ask for gift cards for my local bookshop or uh, for more books, which makes total sense for all of the bookworms out there. Okay, this week's question is, how do you approach editing? And there's a whole reason why I'm asking that, uh, but you'll get to that in a second. Okay, the book recommendation of the week this week is a controversial one. I am going to recommend A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J Maas. Now, I'm pretty sure half of you just switched off. (laughs) But bear with me and let me explain. One of the things I want to do at the moment is to read the books 
like so I never read books that are hyped ever because like it annoys me I don't want my opinion being given to me before I've read the book let me make the judgment um which is the only reason that I tend to avoid hyped books however I in thinking about the anatomy of a bestseller and deconstruction the more I thought about it the more I was like actually this would be a really interesting exercise to read the books that are overhyped to find out what happened what made them explode why were they so popular uh, was it their story structure was it the beats and the pacing was it something about the characters so on and so forth so the first one of those that I wanted to read was A Court of Thorns and Roses uh, because, I don't know, I had basically the whole series on my shelf. Why I had the series on my shelf before I've even read them, I don't know. <laughs> but, that, you know, book one problems, right? So anyway, I read A Court of Thorns and Roses and I didn't hate it. I did not hate it, which was interesting. I went in expecting to hate it because of the hype because usually I just like to be, you know... <laughs> I can't think of the word. I'm tired this morning. Anyway, uh, so I liked her description. I thought she used some pretty descriptions. And I did find myself wanting to read on. I did want to know what happened next. I wanted to know what would happen. And there were there were enough twists and turns that it kept me gripped. I did find it a little bit predictable in a couple of places. Uh, I did know immediately what the riddle was in the book uh you know and I I kind of guessed what was going to happen but it was okay because I actually really quite enjoyed it um do I understand why it was hyped mm, not sure yet not sure I understand why it was hyped so much I think some of it might have been like time uh when it was published in the industry but I did enjoy it so like for the people who hate on it I'm not quite sure that it was bad enough for me to hate on it. I did think there were some problematic things in there, uh, which, you know, but but problematic things aside, in terms of like quality of storytelling, it was okay. So yeah, I, so even if you don't take the book recommendation of the week, my recommendation to you this week is to read a book you've been avoiding, read a book that's been really hyped, and then like message me. I'd be really interested to hear what you thought, whether you felt it met the hype, whether you actually succumbed and really enjoyed it too, or whether you actually ended up hating it and why, like what could you deconstruct in it? Um, what could you, yeah, what, what could you find that you learn? And, and here's the thing, I'm actually going to read the second one, not least because everybody that I've spoken to has said the, the Akatar series gets better from book two, but also because I really did like her description and therefore I'm going to uh, deconstruct some of it. And if you would like deconstruction help or tips to find out what the authors are doing well, uh, that you can then do better yourself, then of course you can read The Anatomy of a Bestseller if you haven't already. All right, so on to personal news and update. I can't remember if I mentioned this last week, but I was delighted to be invited back to Daniel Wallace's next write writing conference or summit, I think they call them. Um, and it's called Escape to the Plot Forest. Now, I don't know if it will still be running by the time this airs, but you will be able to catch up on it. And there are some incredible uh, speakers there, including <laughs> myself. Uh, and uh, I'm going back to talk about villains. Now, I have made the announcement to my patrons and I have made the announcement to my newsletter this week. Just In fact, just yesterday. Just 
I don't know, time is a lie. Anyway, this is the first time I'm recording, so I'm now going to make the announcement to you. I have settled on what my next nonfiction book will be. And it's, so I don't have like a finalised title, but this is like the loose title that I'm working with. First, there was the hero's journey. Then there was the heroine's journey. Well, now I am going to do the villain's journey. And I am so super fucking excited. And I'm also shitting a brick. So for a long time, I, you know, 13 Steps to Evil was the first book I ever wrote. Um, well, not the first book I ever wrote. That's not true. <laughs> That's not even close to true. It's the first book I ever published, though. And um, because of that, if I wrote it now, of course, I would add a lot more depth and detail into it. So it begged the question, did I want to do a second edition? And no, I really didn't want to do a second edition, especially because all of the stuff that I'm talking about in this new book is different. It's not, it's it's a sideways step and deepening as opposed to deepening the content that's already there. If I want to deepen the content that's already there, I will do a second edition. So this book is completely different. It's called, well, tentatively called uh, The Villain's Journey, the anatomy of unlikable protagonists. And so what I'm going to cover is what the villain's journey is, like when the villain is a villain. And then on top of that, what the villain's journey is when the villain is the protagonist. And under circumstances like that, think about uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie or uh, Emma Stone's Cruella. I'm also going to cover how the villain's journey relates to story structure and then all the key elements and aspects you need to create an unlikable protagonist because there are some key things that you need in order to make unlikable protagonists work. And of course, there will also be discussion on if it's not a protagonist, uh, it's it's just an unlikable character. So yeah, I'm going to cover all of those stuff. And I won't lie, I am buzzing my tits off. I'm so fucking excited to write this book. I haven't been this excited in ages to write something. And I think it's because this is what I'm known for. This is where everything started. And so it feels like coming home in a way. Uh, But uh, so so as well as being super excited, I'm also super nervous because I obviously don't want to ruin 13 Steps to Evil because that's where everything came from but uh yeah I don't know I feel like I want to do that book justice so yeah but that aside I am deeply excited to get my hands on this and like I can just feel feel it brewing and building inside me and I feel yeah I don't know I'm just so excited I feel like a kid at Christmas to write this book and I cannot fucking wait to share it with you and I really hope you guys like it so I will be talking much more about that I am hoping to uh, get it done before Christmas and therefore uh probably I don't know uh, an early part of the year release I would hope but anyway uh what else is new well (laughs) instead of what I what I'm going to do let me tell you what I have been up to I have been working on the audiobook Yay! I'm so glad I managed to get to the audiobook. I spent about six hours editing over last weekend uh, and I am considerably closer to the end now than I was. I've still got one chapter left to record, which I'm going to do before winter kicks in too much and then the bloody booth is like an ice... uh, whatever... ice... iceberg. Oh, God. I need more coffee. Uh, Anyway. So... 
Yes, I have been working on the audiobook and I have sent, I think, 10 sections to my uh, amazing Becca uh, to proof them for me. And the rest of this week has been a bit of a clusterfuck, if I'm perfectly honest, and it's made me deeply frustrated. So this is the last week before the first half term. And so, of course, this is my first deadline because I won't be working next week. And I have been really, really frustrated because I have had countless meetings, countless life things, countless school things, like just stuff getting in the way. And as you know, I have been working on the edits of the book that I fast drafted. And it has, this is now the second week I've been working on edits and therefore I should be done. And I'm not and that's not okay. <laughs> uh, I am only 20k into a, well, the book is now 75k, so in that 20k I've added 5k, but it is on a go slow, and I don't know if that's because I I cleared all the decks to write the thing, and then of course did not consider the fact that having done nothing else other than write for three weeks, <laughs> or two weeks or four days, whatever it was, I had a stockpile of stuff that needed doing. And so I've been chasing my tail and loads of stuff keeps cropping up. And so I, I've i only had, I think, one full day that hasn't been, hasn't had any meetings or errands or, or whatever else. So that's not really conducive to me getting the book done. So tomorrow I'm gonna have a full day, thank God. Uh, and I'm hoping I can get a bit done. I am going to have to do a tiny bit over the half term, but I'm gonna try and really limit it and just do the edits rather than anything else. But also I am finding that I'm starting to speed up very slowly. So that is also helping. And it's making me think about process. So for me, I need to get to the end of the first draft, which meant I didn't make a huge amount of decisions before I started and I made them as I went, which is great for pace, not so good when it comes to editing because what I'm finding is that I'm, I'm going forwards and then I'm having to go back because I'm finding another decision <laughs> I made, which means I've got to thread that back in earlier on. So it's like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. And I don't know if that's going to be a healthy method for me going forward because it's I f I'm finding I'm frustrated and I, but you know that is not helped by the fact I have also had a lot of life shit go on uh so yeah I'm pretty fucking tired I'm definitely ready for the half term because I'm exhausted but uh, we're going up to Edinburgh this half term, which I'm super excited about. We're going to um, see my aunt and some friends. And yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be lovely. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think that's all my updates. I, I can't tell you anything else. I, I don't think. I think that is all my updates. Yeah. Oh, no. Ah, I do have some more updates. So of course, this book that I'm talking about is fiction and it's a new new genre and it's under a pen name and I the other thing that has not helped me with editing is that of course editing is all decision making and setting up a new pen name is also all decision making so I went into decision paralysis and decision fatigue this week which is another thing that has slowed me down editing so a tip for you guys don't try and make loads of fucking decisions in the week that you're supposed to be editing because apparently it makes everything a lot harder. So uh, yeah, thank you uh, to my coach, Ellie, who pointed out <laughs> this little fact for me. And uh, yeah, I, I forced myself to sit down for a couple of hours and make a load of decisions and that has cleared up some of the uh, headspace for me. All right, let's move on. 
The Rebel of the Week this week is Sharon. Sharon says, My mother never risked getting in trouble when she was a kid because her father, an officer in the Royal Canadian Navy, was very strict. The closest brush she ever had with the law was in her 20s when she painted the gold panners jacket on her Yukon license plate red to match the colour of her car and in this case the court kindly waived the fine a lot as long as she replaced her license plate. All in all my never my mother never experienced the true joy of mischief in her youth. I'm grateful that she raised my siblings and I uh with a long tether and sometimes no tether at all. So one day, while I was at work, my white-haired mother shocked me with a text message. I snuck into a movie. What do you mean, I texted back. At the cinema. How? I'll tell you later. What movie? I don't know. She told me later that she had brought a ticket for a matinee that day to escape the summer heat. When it ended, she didn't want to leave the air-conditioned (laughs) theatre. So she decided to try her luck by walking into another film. She had so much fun that over the next year or so, sneaking into the movie theatres became her new hobby. She never cared which film she snuck in to see and always texted me her success in real time. Her peak was sneaking into two extra movies in a single day. And even though she always got away with it, she had a plan of feigning a senior moment if anyone ever caught her. That is brilliant. I love it. Oh my God, that's so naughty. I love that she found her in a rebel. Um, I just I just love it. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. It can be a parent rebellion or a pet rebellion, or I don't know, it can be an anyone rebellion. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. A big thank you and welcome to Danielle Briganti. Briganti. Please tell me which way was correct or which way is correct. Uh, And a huge thank you to all of my existing patrons. I really, really appreciate all of your support. Last night we had a movie night together and we watched Top Gun Maverick and it was fantastic. I love the film. It's the second time I've seen it and I loved it just as much as the first time I saw it. Um, And it was great just to hang out and chit chat in the the Zoom chat and, and all watch the movie together. And yeah, it was just fantastic. And there's loads of bonus stuff that you get for being a patron like the blooper reel the obscene blooper reel that I shared this week from all of the audiobook editing and yeah like a whole bunch of other stuff like poison and proses you've got the slack community where everybody helps and supports each other and answers each other's questions and shares random memes and things and yeah of course a whole bunch of other stuff so if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content like I just mentioned then you can from as little as two dollars a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black Okay, that's it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am super excited because I am joined by returning guest, Sarah Painter. Sarah has written contemporary fiction with a touch of magic, book club fiction for Lake Union, nonfiction for writers, and most recently, the best-selling urban fantasy mystery series, Crow Investigations. She lives in rural Scotland, drinks too much tea, and is the proud owner of a writing shed. Hello, and welcome. 
welcome. Thank you for coming back. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. You were last on the show, uh, Can You Believe It, in May 2020, which was episode 30. And I've just finished doing episode 159. I can't bloody believe that. Um, 2020 feels like 10,000 years ago. So, <laughs> like, Would you like to tell it everyone does. what you've been up to since May 2020 and sort of how things are going? Uh, sure. But yes, what is time? <laughs> um, since then, I have just been trundling along, releasing a Crow Investigations book approximately every six months. Uh, so number eight is out this month on the 20th of October. Um, and that's it. Oh, I've been working with my husband. I think when I spoke to you last, I just hired him out of his job, um, which was just before the pandemic hit. So it was perfect timing. Um, uh, so that's been going really well. Uh, other than that, just, yeah, loving it. I think it's amazing that you work with your husband. And for those who may be like, would like to, or are maybe <laughs> horrified by the thought of it, talk, talk a little bit about like the split. How do you work together? How does that, um, do you ha like separate church and state or like, <laughs> how does it work working with your partner? Um, well, it definitely did require quite a few conversations to sort of nail that down. Um, and it also required me to start planning on a Trello board rather than just in my paper diary, oh, because wow. obviously Dave doesn't have access to my paper diary. <laughs> so I had to start, you know, sharing things <laughs> and talking about how I do things. And all of that was a wee bit of an adjustment to start with. Um, but we've got a really good system now. We have a weekly catch-up meeting, oh, uh, setting meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have the Trello board. Um, and other the, the way we split the work, basically, Dave just said to me, anything that I can do, I will go and learn, you know, I will do it. Uh, so it's all the writing obviously is me and then anything else you can think of, website, managing ads, accounts, creating shareable graphics, uh, publishing, uh, making updates, any formatting, <laughs> I mean, anything else you can think of, uh, registering the ISBNs, Dave does all of that. That's it's amazing. amazing. <laughs> Has it enabled you to speed up or do you... Well, I did have the thought, I was feeling quite overwhelmed. In, I was feeling incredibly overwhelmed before I hired Dave. So it was definitely going to be a case of I needed to hire somebody. Um, I also was, feel, I was running the podcast at the time and I did think it would free up time to sort of continue doing that uh, with, you know, Dave taking over editing it and so on. And I don't know if I've sped up, but I have been consistent. Okay. So, and I'm very proud of that. So two books a year is quite speedy for me. I used mm -hmm. to, you know, one or two books a year is my pace. Um, but to consistently manage that, regardless of what else has been going on in my life, mm -hmm. I think is testament to how much has been taken off my plate. Yeah. Um, another thing that we've done is just more, all the things that were on my to-do list, yeah. get hardbacks done, yeah. done, because Dave does it. <laughs> you know, start advertising, done, because Dave helps me with it. Um, other things like uh, foreign translations. The first few books are now out in Germany, in German, which is very exciting. And again, it freed me up to have the headspace to deal with that and project manage that. Mm, mm. Whereas before, I, I couldn't. I, oh, you know, it, it just sounds glorious. I have mm. a giant whiteboard here 
with a list of about 75 million things that I should be doing, mm-hmm. could be doing, mm-hmm. and just cannot get to. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they're just like, I'm only one person and I only work school hours. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, well, I say only, that's not true entirely, is it? Let's be yeah, real. Work here, every but... hour, God <laughs> I know you, yeah. Sasha. That is not true. <laughs> but, but isn't that the point, right? I, I, uh-huh. What I have is six creating hours. I yes. only have six creating hours. And, you know, the rest of the shit just takes up so much time. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, fuck all of that. We are here to talk about <laughs> <laughs> urban fantasy and your amazing uh-huh. Crow Investigation uh, series. So before we get into kind of more detail. I wondered if you could actually explain what is urban fantasy? How does it differ to normal fantasy? Like, yeah, what are those? um, Yeah, so just talk more broadly and then I'm gonna ask some more detailed questions. Sure thing. Well, I am not an expert, but my opinion or my understanding of urban fantasy is that it is set, it is fantasy that is set in the world that we recognize. So if you have a secondary world like Middle Earth, for example, that is epic fantasy or fantasy fantasy, whereas urban fantasy will be set in a recognizable planet Earth, um, a recognizable London, for example, in the Crow Investigation series. However, it is a recognizable London, but it has added magic. Mm -hmm. So that's my understanding of it. People often get confused by the word urban being in there, um, but it's more broad than that. Maybe it started out that way when whoever came up with the genre title named it. Um, But for example, there are books that are set in more rural places. Uh, The Suki uh, Stackhouse books by Charlene Harris, for example, are in a more rural, small town, Southern America setting. But they're definitely urban fantasy. Are they not paranormal, though, because it's vampires? Well, I was just going to say that it does get tricky. Urban fantasy, I think of as being like the the overarching genre, urban fantasy. Like setting driven. Yeah, um, setting driven, the main thing being, yes, real world, but with added either paranormal, supernatural, magic, some sort of fantastical element. Yeah. Um, Generally, they tend to be fast paced. Mm -hmm. They generally tend to have a certain tone, which marries humor or banter or snarkiness um, with the darker elements. And those are the kind of main things that make something urban fantasy. Okay, so um, Valerie, one of my patrons, asked Mm -hmm. specifically about that. And she wondered um, like what elements need to be in the book to qualify as urban fantasy. So I think you've probably covered that, that it does, it is setting, it needs to have magic. um, And there's got to have that sort of snarky banter voice mixed Mm -hmm. with the darker tones. But I wondered if you had any craft thoughts about that. How can you do those things to to the best, uh, you know, and to deliver what the reader wants, sort of those, maybe the snarky tone and the settings, like, yeah, what, what kind of craft advice do you have around that? Well, um, when it comes to sort of character and voice and dialogue, which are those key elements, I am useless at giving advice on it because it's the things that come most naturally to me that just flow. And I don't really want to examine them too much in case I break whatever magic is happening in my subconscious. Yeah. Uh, But the only tip I would share is that I have always loved books with humor in them. I've always loved that kind of I mean, sarcasm is my bag. So um, if it's not something that you have been absorbing through just the love of it, 
throughout your whole life, then maybe start. Uh, obviously, read some urban fantasy that you love that has that has that tone. Also, TV and film can be really, really good for that kind of um, the dialogue. Uh, so things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer is an absolute masterclass in balancing that light humor, uh, banter and dialogue with life and death situations and horror. Yeah, so consume lots of that and love yeah, it. <laughs> I love that. And Buffy's a great example because you have Xander, who's kind of like the agent of chaos and you just never really know what he's going to do. <laughs> and that does help to bring in that element of um, that element of surprise and humour. But, you know, whilst Buffy's there being all brooding and moody, and, you know, <laughs> then you. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a that's a, a great example. What what? Let's say you've got a writer approaching uh, starting writing in this new genre of urban fantasy. What mistakes do you think um, they should avoid making when trying to go into urban fantasy? Um, I think the first thing is kind of what we've already said in terms of really nailing down your setting and making sure that it is very anchored in a recognisable version of our world. Because if you don't do that, you're definitely not in urban fantasy. <laughs> um, it's definitely uh, a sort of core element of it. Um, so choosing your setting very carefully uh, is really important. Other than that, I would say, I again, I might be getting confused on this, but in my opinion, you have urban fantasy and then you have kind of, quite often in urban fantasy, you will have a, a mystery element. So you will have uh, an investigator character or a police person is the main character, that kind of thing. And there will be these investigative mystery elements in, in the stories. Um, so I think it's quite important to decide if you're going to have that and how much you're going to lean into that and also decide on your heat level. Because, for example, my books, there is some romance in there, but it's very closed door. There is no heat level. You know, it is stone cold. <laughs> it, uh, you know, it is a, um, that side of things is alluded to, but not on the page in any way. But I'm aware that there are lots and lots of urban fantasy books that are the other end of that scale. Um, and then you'd be looking at making sure that you, if you write that kind of thing, or you don't have mystery, to make sure that you label your subgenres correctly when you're marketing. Yeah. So you yeah. want to make sure you like this is why I say paranormal mystery, for example, as well as urban fantasy is because I have ghosts and ghosts, mm -hmm. in my opinion, are paranormal, mm -hmm. whereas uh, vampires are supernatural. Again, just my opinion. I might be wrong, but I think of paranormal as ghosts and I have ghosts. So, yeah, paranormal yeah. and mystery is central, which is why I often mention mystery. I love it. And the thing is, as well, as long as you know and you know the content, then you can target. And like that is the most important thing. Um, I wanted to go back to the setting, which I which I thought was really interesting. Like, obviously, the most important factor is, is choosing the right setting. Do you think there are do you think it needs to be one, a very well-known city or location? And two, um, how, how like you mentioned, it's important to get it accurate. How accurate? Do, do people have to know the correct street names? Is there any um, like ability to flex like or have sort of creative, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, Freedom. <laughs> yeah, author, author, what, you know, when they tweak license. things slightly. Creative license, thank you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, like how, how, how detailed do, do things really need to be? 
I think that you have free license to be as creative and flexible with your setting as you like, but just be aware that the further you get from a recognizable place on the recognizable earth that we do inhabit, the closer to the edge of not being urban fantasy you get, yeah, basically. Okay. Okay. Um, but when it comes to using my own books as an example, uh, the London is very much the London that we have. But I do take uh, liberties. So with um, so I'll have very real locations, real landmarks, and then I will have alternative histories for them. Oh, cool. So, yeah. and I love that. You see, I love reading that sort of thing, so, mm. which is why I'm writing it. Mm. Um, so you get to sort of, you know, imagine if that mm-hmm. part of the Thames, but yeah. with magic, imagine, you know, yeah. that, I'm not explaining that very well, but I hope you know no, what I no, mean. you is. are, yeah. And um, so I think, again, it's, it could be, it could be somewhere that's well known. I mean, London is great because then it does give that hook. Lots of people mm-hmm. who are interested in London, that's fabby, um, but it doesn't actually matter as long as you know the place well mm-hmm. and can recreate it in a sort of what seems giving the uh, illusion of authenticity, yes. if you like. Yeah. Okay. So that because I think it comes down to a sort of a feeling and an experience, and for mm-hmm. me, part of the experience of urban fantasy, part of the magic, is that sense that you have. Well, I certainly had as a kid, and I still have occasionally as an adult that you're somewhere. But there's just, if you just look slightly differently, mm-hmm. you will see something that nobody else is seeing. Mm-hmm. That that doorway actually leads to a magical yeah. reality. That that yeah. that person over there that you know seems a wee bit off, but you can't quite put your finger on it, actually is a zombie. You know, it's it's that kind of that slightly crooked, that slightly you know, glass shattered way of looking at things um, that is really evoked in in an urban fantasy for me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think it's so true. And it's like that same line between um, like with historical fiction and trying to add just enough that you Mm -hmm. create the feeling of history, um, Mm -hmm. you know, but also the feeling of fiction and that escapism Mm. so I think it's like a really interesting um balance um okay so I I think you're gonna say that you don't want to answer this one but I I (laughs) like urban fantasy is snarky and voicey um and and so I just wondered whether you know there is any kind of advice that you would give for like writing that kind of stuff um, I think it would be a repeat of yeah. you know, what I said before in terms of reading lots of it, try and yeah. tune your okay. tune your voice in, but also just whether you can, whether you enjoy writing like that. If it if it flows for you and you're enjoying it, then great. If it's not, then my advice would be to write what does flow and you're enjoying it. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> All right, let's turn a bit more towards the business side of urban Mm. fantasy. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your model. Is it KU, trad, hybrid, wide, et cetera? I think from memory, I had a conversation with you once upon a time about (laughs) being indie, but targeting and modeling trad. I feel like that was you I had that conversation with. (laughs) It was, it was. (laughs) So I just wondered if you could talk about that and maybe like how you got to that, if you're still doing that and kind of all the business model mm. side. Of course, of course. Um, so I am 
indie, uh, but technically hybrid because I have um, audiobook and foreign rights deals uh, and I still have an agent and I'm not dismissing the idea of possibly placing a book with Trad again in the future. Um, so yes, I'm hybrid uh, and I'm wide. So that's the kind of the model. And what we were chatting about before that you alluded to was that when I went in the, which was with my Crow Investigation books um, with fiction, I knew that I, I basically, I went top down. I decided how am I going to be doing this? What is my business model? What production can I achieve? You know, looking at author Sarah and then looking at business, <clears throat> looking at the business. And looking long-term, I knew that I would be producing one or two books a year, um, that I had already been traditionally published. So I had some books out there that weren't in the urban fantasy genre, but they were trad published. So they had, um, they were wide. So um, for many other reasons, but including that one, I knew I was going to be wide. Um, and I basically wanted my publishing imprint to do a seamless job to do the same job that HarperCollins had done or Lake Union had done. So that was how I approached it. So that meant that when I was doing my market research, I wasn't looking at indie versus trad because readers don't care about that. I don't care about that. I, whenever I'm looking for a business decision or a marketing decision, I am purely looking at the market as it actually is, as far as I can tell, and the readers and what their experience is and what they are looking for and what they want. And so I knew I wanted to match with wide. So when you're doing your market research, it makes no sense to me to look at books that are in KU as your comp titles, because that's not how they're going to be in the market. They're not going to be in KU. So that's irrelevant. So I only looked at wide titles for my comps, for my market research, for my cover research. And it just so happened that, for example, if you look at the time, looking at the top 20 in urban fantasy on Amazon, you know, there were 18 KU titles. And so two wide and those two wide happened to be trad. So from that point of view, it ended up that I had quite a lot of trad books on my list, but that's the more kind of in-depth uh, thought process that went behind coming to that sort of market research. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because a lot of writers would look at that and go, oh my goodness me, there is 18 out of 20 in mm -hmm. KU. I need to go into KU, but you didn't do that. So, which I think is one, amazing, two, easy, <laughs> and three, fucking brilliant because you've made it work. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. As being in a genre that is heavily KU, but still making it work. What is it that you're doing between launches, for example, or how are you launching? Like, how are you, um, you know, finding that readership uh, wide when, when it is a genre that is typically, you know, in air quotes, dominated by uh, KU? Um, I mean... I'm really proud of myself, I'll be honest, because I was be. I was scared. I was very, very daunted. And the advice was, look at what's in the top 20 and then choose your model based on that. Yeah. Um, so I, I, am, I am really proud of myself, but I'm also a very stubborn person. And I'm also <laughs> got, I've also got input and learner, not to, you know, everyone take a drink, it's the strength. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I had- What are your top in, 10? 
or top five? Sorry. Uh, so uh, empathy, input, intellection, learner, and relator. Love it. I'm not Love in that it. order, but yeah, <laughs> I've got yeah. the order wrong, but that's yeah. the uh, top five. <laughs> um, so... So basically, I'd taken in a lot of input <laughs> um, and I'd taken an input in sort of other businesses as well. So I was looking at it with a, a long term view and a sort of general business strategy view. And so rather than just thinking about KU and wide, I was thinking about what or how I wanted to run my business and what would suit me and what I, you know, both my, my ethics or my long-term plans or all of that. And it, that made it a lot easier to make the decision. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as soon as I decided, okay, I, for all of these reasons, I want to be wide. I then look, focused on how to make it work rather than what are people are doing in KU became irrelevant. And the moment I stopped paying attention to it, all, all the input I was getting, all the signals I was getting was reminding me that loads and loads and loads and loads of people in this world don't read in KU. Mm. They just so, don't. <laughs> so what, what are some of the tactics that you, you use with launches? Mm. Or like, are you ads-based? Is it Amazon ads? Is it Facebook? Is it backlist sales? Uh -huh. Or sort of how of have you, yeah, how have you generated mm. that audience wide? Okay, so... Um, it was uh, it was a reasonably it was quite a decent start, but it wasn't you know stratospheric. It was a, it was a slow start. Um, I was running a few Amazon ads um, because I've come to advertising quite late uh, because things were going quite well and I'm lazy and a bit scared of wasting money. Um, so I've only just started doing Facebook ads in the last few months, and I've got some breaking news for you, Sasha. Advertising is amazing. Ah. <laughs> and funnily enough, if you have a business, it's quite a good idea to advertise it. So yes, going forward in between releases, uh, a bit more ad spend will be one of my strategies. Um, but up until very recently, I was relying on the spikes that you get with release and then just concentrating on the next book, knowing that watching, you know, your sales trundle down as they do in between releases. But then if I've got another release coming out and you've got the other pre-order, you can see that, you mm -hmm. know, that you're going to get a decent amount of money on that month. Yeah. yeah. Um, and other than that, in terms of uh, promoting wide, uh, the main thing, because again, quite lazy and introverted when it comes to marketing. So the first thing is to get getting the core marketing package right. And I think all my research did pay off there. And I think hiring um, the incredible uh, Stuart Bache to do my cover, and he really nailed the sort of series design and all of that. So fantastic. But getting that kind of core product right. Um, and then in terms of like keywords and categories, all of those sort of all the, the basics, but the most important stuff, getting that uh, right for the wide stores important uh the other thing just telling people that you're wide telling people that you're available in all the stores um that's really important and having your you know all the different links on your website and so on another thing that's been useful of course is i'm sure many people have said this but the kind of individual store uh, merchandising opportunities so you know your kobo promos i apply every month for whatever promos will will fit and i get Every month, I tend to get at least one or two. 
and that's really helped my Kobo um, sales. Also, um, recently I was very excited. Uh, something that I put in place a couple of years ago, maybe, was going to webinars, you know, free webinars, whenever there's uh, one with, say, Apple or Kobo, or going to those. And then I went to an Apple one, um, I'm going to say a couple of years ago, but who knows? Um, and I followed up. You were invited to follow up with an email. So I did. And I've kept in touch with that rep. Just, you know, letting them know when I've got sales and all of that. And then they got in touch with me earlier this year to say, Urban Fantasy Promo thought of you. Would you like to be in it? I said, thank you very much. And I will have my best, you know, I had my best ever month on Apple Oh wow! as a result. And that is all from making a contact yeah. via a webinar that was available to everybody. It wasn't a secret handshake deal. Mm -hmm. It was just recognizing that in the other stores, they are managed by people mm -hmm. and the merchandising and the promotions are managed by real people. So if you get an opportunity to make a contact, grab that opportunity. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, let's talk a little bit more about urban fantasy and the readers. What, I asked this to, so I've done kind of a series of like how to write with, and then a specific genre. So I always ask this question, what are like the popular tropes? How do you know that you are hitting uh, what readers want? Like what is kind of the, yeah, what what tropes do you feel are really important? Um, what is it that a reader wants when they come to urban fantasy? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, again, I don't do market research when it comes to writing books. So I didn't do what you're supposed to do, which is to read, you know, 100 books in the genre before you write it. I just had an idea and it wasn't a million miles away from some of the books I've read over my life that definitely would be classed as urban fantasy. <laughs> um, so I had an idea that it would probably be urban fantasy. And then I wrote it and I didn't do any I more research. It. So I, again, I'm not, I'm very much an imposter, not the person to answer the question. But for me, I would say uh, I like to have a mystery element, both when I'm writing, but also in the, in the kind of urban fantasy books I've read. I, have, I love a mystery. So it's uh, that, that mashup is great. How do you, do you plan that in or do you like, do you pants your way through it? Like, how do you I, drop? Yeah. Yeah, no, again, um, I don't plan in any at, at all, at all, oh, wow. at all. I literally write books as they come to me, and then they're a complete, I was nearly going to swear, but I can swear on this one, I forgot. And they're a complete fucking mess. And then I put the, and then I move the pieces around and rewrite it. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, for example, one of my, many of my mysteries, but one fairly recently, I had no idea who the victim was. They turned up in the story, but I didn't know who they were. Um, I didn't know who'd killed them, how they died, why. And I got to about three quarters of the way through the book. And I kept thinking, like, Lydia, you're going to have to tell me, you're going to have to discover something soon. And that was a wee bit nervy. <laughs> but that's just how this, yeah. I've, I've tried many years of trying to learn how to plot and mm. beating myself up over this ridiculous process, but I've decided to just embrace it. Um, this is Absolutely. how I do it, so. Like, as long as you're getting to the end of the book, it yeah. really doesn't matter how you do it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm guessing, like, when you go to edit then, you edit in more, like, red herrings and things, and, like, so do you have any tips or advice about how you can 
like I don't want to say trick the reader because obviously we don't want to like trick mm. the reader but like how you mm. weave no, you that do. mystery you do want it. yeah you want to trick the reader absolutely <laughs> any advice or tactics <laughs> on doing doing that more effectively I mean, I definitely do find that when I'm rewriting or going back through, I will find things and I'll think, oh, wow, like my subconscious is so clever. Like it put these things in and I had no idea. So I'm just sort of, I discover it myself and then I'm surprised and I'm like, oh, good job. Excellent. But (laughs) there is also an element of uh, bringing those things out a wee bit. So I might notice if I've mentioned something twice, I will mention it a third time for that kind of rule of three Mm -hmm. or I'll drop it. Okay. Down to one, you yeah. know, so I, I will have more of my analytical head on at some, you know, uh, at some point. And I will also occasionally then I will move a clue, move something to a more either to leave the reader wondering for longer. If I mm-hmm. notice that, let's say, the open loop or the clue or the red herring occurs and then a couple of pages later, I've got it being revealed, solved, I might decide to change the timing to sort of play with the pacing play with how long the reader is in the dark mm-hmm. um so yeah I do get into that sort of thing later but it tends to be with all the kind of clay that I've already got yeah, does that yeah. make sense yeah absolutely or yeah um I was gonna ask one other question and it's literally just uh, <laughs> oh yeah I wondered if you could talk a little bit about your launches um mm. often for people who launch multiple multiple books a year their launches are kind of quieter softer um <sighs> when you are launching sort of one book a year or one or two books a year quite often you find authors do a bigger launch so I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your launches what mm. you do the kind of tactics do you do anything on social media like what yeah how do you approach <laughs> a launch um, I'm trying to get better at it because I do tend to be um, my sort of self-doubt and possible laziness <laughs> comes in and I do tend to end up doing the bare minimum and then feeling bad about it and looking at all my lists of great ideas and feeling a wee bit guilty. So it's definitely something I'm working on. Um, but when I say the bare minimum, I think the reason that I haven't Part what of the that, reason I what does that I was going like to say yeah. I think I was going to say I think part of the reason I haven't done a lot more is that they have worked. Yes, so if yes. you weren't working, then I'd yeah. be, you know, more anxious about it. So, for example, it'd be things like letting my newsletter know, and then in the month of launch, I will send more than one newsletter, which is unusual for me. I will send you know the sneak peek of the first chapter. I will send news about what my publication day giveaway is going to be because I always source you know. I just love spending time on Etsy, basically. So I will spend time sourcing something cool um, and nice that relates to the book in some way or is a manifestation of a physical object that's mentioned in the book, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And some swag and all of that sort of stuff. So I'll I'll sort of send stuff out to my newsletter. Um, I, again, social media, I don't do a lot of it. This year, my grand... Uh, plan was to post on Facebook once a week and I've been mostly doing that which is heady success for me and which just goes to tell you social media not a big part of my strategy but something that I'm trying to get a wee bit better at Um, so yeah actually mentioning it online always helps Um, running a running an Amazon auto ad to the pre-order uh (laughs) I'm no, str- no, that, you know, I'm struggling. It's no, that's, that's it's no, it's pretty, fine. It's just interesting uh, to me. Yeah, but 
but is it because you've done all the work to build the mailing list to to build yes. that established audience yeah. so like yeah. and that's the thing like I I kind of was terrified that I'd messed up uh, over the summer because we went off to South Africa and so I just rushed out a book and told my mailing list and posted in a couple of places mm. and then I went on holiday and that was more or less it and actually I was like oh no like it's going to be such a mm. you know and I really thought in that first month it wasn't going very well and then I came back and actually looked at the numbers and I was like actually this is my third best sales month ever so you know okay <laughs> Amazing. okay it probably could have been a better sales month but it didn't need to be because that was enough that was fine like it did what it yeah. needed to do yes I probably could have done more um you know but actually it was fine in the end so yeah um, I, I think also because I've been I have been lulled a wee bit because I've been doing a series so each launch I mean I've been trying to sort of um do like one new thing each launch because that's a way of me tackling the never-ending list and actually didn't taking action because I'm very good at learning about things and then not actually doing them. <laughs> so I thought I would like add one thing, each challenge myself that mm-hmm. I will add one new thing each or try something new. Mm-hmm. So like one of the launches, I tried the book bub new releases for less feature, for example. Mm-hmm. And so it's just challenging myself to add in a test of one new thing to the launch mm-hmm. to kind of build up my launch. Um, you know, portfolio process. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I love um, but I have also been kind of leaning on the fact that these are books in a series. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, all my sort of promotional advertising and so on is to the Night Raven, the first book. And so for the eighth book, I mean, either you read in the series and you're going to want to read it if I tell you about it, or you're probably not going to pick this one up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course, it is an opportunity to bring light to the series. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't just be being super chill like that but there is an element of a series having that kind of momentum so when I release my next book which won't be a crow investigations book and that's going to be a new series starter which is terrifying um I am probably going to well I'm aiming to do more of a a bigger launch whatever that will look like is this so I just wanted to caveat that yes it will be in the same genre yeah it will um so how, in terms of The Night Raven, how mm. do you, is it a free, is it free first in series? No. Do you cycle it? Like how does, and no. do you, what, do you have a reader <laughs> magnet? How does, how do those kind no, of No, I should have, well, I mean, I do have a reader magnet. I have a short story that really links to some of my trad books. It's really, I've, on my list is write a reader magnet that leads to the Crow books, or, or is just a more recent example of my writing. Uh, keep, it's on the list, Sasha. What can I tell you? It's there. I know I should do it. <laughs> it's all right. I'm um, going to do mine and I'm putting, uh, putting it on. <laughs> uh, the Night Raven is always full price. Um, so the books are $4.99, $3.99 UK. They've always been full price. That's that's what it is. Um, having said that, the Night Raven, then I will apply for book bubs and I will put it on a 99 pence deal mm-hmm. if I get a book bub. Um, or occasionally, if I haven't had a book bub for a while, um, I will run a 99 pence and stack newsletters and yeah, some yeah. ads and so on. But it's always important to me that it's a genuine price drop, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't do it too often. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe in the future, again, when the series is complete, complete, I may, I may well put it permanently at a lower price. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's been how, the strategy so how far. How many more until it's complete? I don't know because I don't plan. Ah, okay. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I do think that this this book, book eight, could be an end 
which is why I feel like, oh, I can now take a, like have a wee change of scenery and write something different. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I felt very much, I've made a contract with the readers. Mm -hmm. I've opened these loops. I need to finish those loops before Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. you know, do anything else. So, um, so yeah, I've, I've closed the big loops. The big overarching arc has been closed in this Mm -hmm. book. So it could be the end, but I've got other ideas. So I'm not quite ready to let the world go, but so are you writing the new series now? Is that the I just started writing? it a couple of days Ooh. ago? So yeah, mm. that is very exciting. Okay, well, this is the Rebel <laughs> the podcast. Tell everyone about the time you unleash your inner rebel. <laughs> well, I did. I know that when I was on this show before, I complained heartily about the question. Yeah, and I think I said <laughs> everyone that, does. Don't worry. <laughs> um, I was talking about how writing and publishing is really uh, rebelling against my inner self doubt and so on, and that is true. And I still stand by that answer. But for this one, I think something that we talked about earlier absolutely was definitely a moment of rebellion, which was the looking at the prevailing wisdom looking at the number of books that were KU and the number of books that were wide in the uh, Amazon top 20 urban fantasy and listening to very wise people all tell me that that meant it should be KU and going, no. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> I is, do you know, when so you said it, it I, I love it. When you said it, I almost said, oh, you rebel, you. <laughs> That's how I felt. Yeah, I love it. Oh, amazing. I mean, that is a pretty big fucking rebellion, if I'm honest, because like, oh, it is, it is very anti the what they, in, a, mm, in quote marks, the should say. Oh, the shirts. Yeah. yeah, the shirts. Yeah. exactly <laughs> oh, amazing well thank you so much for your time today would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else you'd like to add oh that's brilliant thank you so much for having me again it's been so lovely to talk to you um so you can find my books everywhere <laughs> apple and kobo and nook and amazon of course um you can also go to my website which is sarah-painter.com um, for my nonfiction, you can go to worriedwriter.com. And also, um, I one of my nonfiction books, which is called Stop Worrying, Start Selling, which is the introvert author's guide to marketing, is part of a story bundle. So um, that's just a really great offer of 15 books all about writing and publishing. It includes Joanna Penn's How to Write a Novel and books on outlines and all aspects of publishing and marketing and that is available at storybundle.com slash writing and that's available just for a limited time until the end of november which will be about a month I think this will go at at, at the beginning yeah so it should be you'll have a nice long time um and I will of course include links to that in the show notes as well and all of the other places too wow Thank you. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as uh, bonus content, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Sarah Painter. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Join me next week when I am going to be interviewing Megan Clancy. And we are going to be talking all about Uh, writing as a mum, a parent and a carer and how you can do that, some mindset, some tips and tricks uh, and all of that good stuff. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review.